So yeah, got rejected from the military, and I, I was still fascinated with, with war and terrorism, and I wanted to do something related to that. So I ended up studying Arabic for three years in college. And after that, I, I moved to Lebanon to enroll in an intensive immersion program and try to finish up my fluency, and everything was going well uh, until, you know, one day Hezbollah attacked an Israeli patrol and the Israelis attacked back, and I wake up and suddenly the country's at war. My program really quickly went from about 100 students to about, about eight really weird people who chose to stick it out and finish. And um, <laughs> we actually lived in a pretty safe neighborhood. There were a lot of European banks. Uh, there was a Lebanese political family that was really important. And the Israeli F-16s would fly overhead and go bomb other places. But where I was physically was actually really safe. And... So I finished out this Arabic program, and, and then my you know, eight crazy friends leave, and I, I'm still, still drawn there because this is what I wanted to understand. This is what I wanted to be an expert in and, and what I wanted to know. And I didn't have much to do, so I, I did what you do when there's a disaster. And I went to the Red Cross, and I said, hey, I want to help. And they looked at me like a crazy person. I said, well, are you a doctor? <laughs> no. <laughs> are you a nurse, a paramedic, something we can use? No. <laughs> and, you know, I kind of realized that being a 22-year-old college kid with no skills is not exactly the most helpful thing in the world. So I gave them what I could offer, which was two units of blood, uh, and went on my merry way. And <laughs> I did, like, little things in my neighborhood to try to be helpful and, like, try to, you know, help the people who were coming up from South Lebanon, displaced from their homes, who had their, their lives disrupted or destroyed, family members killed. And, you know, I was able to do some little stuff here and there to try to be good to people. And I was learning a lot. I had a neighborhood full of people that I knew, that I trusted, that helped me navigate this, that kept me safe. But over time, it kind of changed. And we're talking in a couple of weeks. It was a short war. But uh, the people that I trusted started to flee. And they started to leave. And more and more, the people that were on the streets were people who had lost their homes in South Lebanon and were displaced. And I was walking down the street one day, and I had a moment that just totally shattered the the sense of security and, and purpose that I had. And it, it, I think it was an accident. This guy just like flicked a cigarette out of an alley and it, it hit me. And he even, I mean, he even apologized. It wasn't hostile, but then he just kind of stared at me. And it was this moment of pure self-awareness for me of, I don't belong here right now. And it's time to go. So I called the bus station and I said, hey, you know, the buses to Syria are running. Um, you know, the airline said if I could get to Istanbul, they'd let me fly out of there. And they say, oh, yeah, yeah, buses are running. Come, come tomorrow. You know, we'll put you on a bus to Syria. No problem. So I show up the next morning with my little backpack and there are no buses. There have not been buses for some time. There's a war. Uh, and there's this pack of like 12 Syrian cab drivers. And I walk up to them I'm like, hey, guys, trying to, trying to get to Aleppo. Uh, you know, can you take me? And I said, oh, yeah. $300, $325, $350, and just total sticker shock for me. I'm a broke college kid. Like, I could get the money, but I didn't have it. I was planning on taking a bus, and it just kind of took me back. And, like, there wasn't, like, a, an immediate threat. So I said, you know, guys, I got to – let me think about it. I'll come back tomorrow. And I'm, I'm walking away, and this one cab driver runs up, and he goes, wait, 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 $50. I'm like – Sold. Let's go. Like, hop in the cab. We're going to Syria. The only, the only caveat was I had to share the cab to, to northern Lebanon, and that was fine by me. And I get in the cab, and I'm 
you know, things are going great, but I start getting in my head of like, why did I just get a $300 discount on a cab out of a war zone? Like, this seems a little sketchy. And so I, I start getting really nervous and into my own head, and I'm like, oh man, I'm just like some like student who thought it would be interesting to hang around a war zone because maybe I want to do counterterrorism. Like, it's not really a sympathetic character. So I start telling him all these lies. I'm like, oh man, I'm a teacher. I came over here to like help people learn English so they could get good jobs in the West and send their kids to good schools and just laying it on really thick so that I, like I'm this sympathetic character that he won't like. I don't know, like extort for money in the desert or like sell me to Al-Qaeda or something. I, like, I have no idea, I had no reason to think this, but I was terrified. And um, you know, it starts to work and he's like handing me cigarettes and I'm like trying to choke him down and, and you know, I had an empty Coke bottle and he throws it out the window for me and I'm like, oh, yeah, man, litter's cool. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, but it becomes clear, like, we've actually developed a really good rapport. And, and, he was a wonderful guy, and it, it kind of later occurred to me that he was probably the only one of those cab drivers who covered the cost of his gas. But we, uh, we start pulling up to the Syrian border, and that's when I get really scared, because at the end of the day, I'm a military-aged male who speaks Arabic and is in Lebanon with no good reason coming out of a war zone into their country. And I'm afraid that the Syrians are going to think that I'm a spy. And... I was nervous in the cab ride. I was afraid coming up to the border station. And we walk in, and it quickly becomes apparent my cab driver story and cover has worked too well. He just like runs in there with me, starts laying it on about what a great guy I am, helping all these people. I'm like, go away. And the Syrians go, you out, you with us. And I get pulled into this back room. And I'm like, oh my God, this is it. They really like, bad things happen when you get taken into the back room at the Syrian border patrol. And, and um, so I, I, I totally reverse course, and I'm like, oh, oh, uh, uh, sorry, guys, I, I don't speak Arabic. That, oh, did I say teacher? Oh, God, I meant student. And we go back and forth for a few rounds. And I, I don't think they were buying a bit of it, but I also think they saw through the whole charade that I was just a kind of an amateur who was there. And um, the, the kind of head guy turns to me and goes, why are you here? I said, man, I just want to get to Turkey. <laughs> And he kind of laughs and he stamps my passport and hands me a visa for 72 hours and says, get out of Syria. <laughs> and I go like running out of the border station and my cabbie's there and he's as excited to see me as I am to see him. And we like drive off as fast as I can get him to drive. And um, after that, he, he actually took me to his hometown of Hama, uh, which was the site of a prior uprising in Syria and kind of gave me a tour of, uh, of some of what happened. And I ended up using almost all of the 72 hours that they gave me in Syria and was treated with incredible kindness and hospitality at a time when I felt incredibly vulnerable. And a lot's gone on there in the past decade, but I think about the place and my cab driver all the time, and I wish I had a way to contact him and, and repay the favor, because I am deeply indebted to him for everything he did for me. Thank you. <laughs>